Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston. I hope everybody's doing good tonight. Uh, we've got an interesting show coming up. You know, for all you installers that are out there and even your restoration guys, you know, if you're having trouble with your back, with your knees, or some other kind of medical problems, and you're looking to actually change careers, but stay in the same business. In other words, you want to get out of installing, you want to get out of doing restoration work, but you still want to use all your knowledge that you've gained, you know, over the years in the stone and tile business, then you have to listen to this show coming up. Uh, now, this show is a pre-recorded show. Actually, someone else has interviewed me, and you'll find out uh, who that is in a minute when I play this. So we're kind of live, but we're really not kind of live. Uh, I'll be here live. Uh, I won't be taking telephone calls, but if during this uh, uh, recorded program that you have a question, uh, feel free to hop on Facebook and send me a message on Messenger. I'd be more than happy to uh, to chat with you why this is why this is recording. So here's the interview I did uh, last week. Uh, if uh, you have questions after the fact, I'll be back in live uh, right after this interview. So here we go, folks. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. And uh, we're going to have an interesting show here. You know, as most of you know, you know, I'm usually the guy here doing the interviewing. And I've had a lot of requests for people asking about, uh, you know, a little bit about me and a little bit about what I do and some of the courses that I offer. And I thought it would be interesting to have someone else interview me. So uh, with me today, I have uh, Alice Dean. And let me introduce Alice real quickly here. And uh, she's going to be interviewing me. So this is going to be quite, quite a lot of fun. Uh, Alice is a technical writer for Surfaces. Uh, those of you that aren't familiar with Surfaces, you can look up surfaces.com. That would be S-U-R-P-H-A-C-E-S. Um, she has learned the ins and outs of the industry by, me by mentoring, uh, apparently with me. That's why I call her Grasshopper <laughs> and, and all the things that I've done since uh, 2000, 2014. She's taken uh, both uh, training from me of the various courses that I offered as well as some of the classes at the Stone and Tile School. school. <laughs> she is a copywriter and video editor specializing in creating highly customized content such as case studies, articles, web content for home and property service providers. And you can check more of her out at topfloorwriter.com. That's topfloorwriter.com to learn more about Alice. Alice, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, it's kind of surreal to <laughs> be yeah, on it's, it's and listen on a regular basis, but I no, really it's, enjoy it. But. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of interesting. So we're, we're going to let you ask the questions, and I'll be the guest. How does that sound? So with that, that okay. said, why don't, you, why don't you fire away with your first question? Okay, very good. Uh, just a heads up, I'm kind of froggy getting over a cold, but uh, I'll push through. 
Um, okay. So uh, how did you get started in the stone and tile industry? Just kind of start right at the beginning. Oh, well, let's see. I was born. No, we'll go a little bit further than that. <laughs> my, I, actually, <laughs> I, I actually got started. Um, uh, oh, my dad was an, was was kind of a handyhand tile setter. So, you know, I kind of grew up, uh, you know, helping him mix mud, you know, grout, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, but in doing so, of course, as a kid, when you're doing stuff with your dad, you say, I don't want to do that for a living. And uh, so I ended up going to going to college and um, getting a degree in, uh, in in biology and working for the University of Florida for, for quite a while as a researcher. And uh, my mom had a small cleaning business. And uh, well, basically, when I say a small cleaning business, I mean, it was basically her cleaning houses. And uh, my dad had gotten sick and uh, my brother and I decided to get her some commercial offices to clean. So we did. And one day I get a call. I'm in the lab at the university and I get a call and she says, hey, you know, I've got this marble floor and I've got these stains on it and uh, I don't know how to get them out. What do I do? And I said, well, what do I know about stone? Now, keep in mind, this is 40 years ago. Uh, so it's a long, long, long time ago. But, you know, being a researcher, one of the first things you do is you run to the library and uh, you can try to find out what's in the literature, you know, what, what's out there when it comes to, you know, at that time we were looking for stain removal. And uh, I was flabbergasted that nothing was out there. So I ended up uh, starting a, a, a small restoration business. I laid some marble and granite in my garage and started practicing. I started practicing how to remove stains, how to polish, how to grind and hone. And, you know, one thing led to another, and that's uh, where I am today. Started a training center a while ago, and now I'm in the consulting expert witnessing and uh, kind of the industry's guru, I guess. So th that's the short version. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so it started with your mom, um, and then uh, you moved uh, from doing the actual restoration work into more specialized work. Um, of troubleshooting and inspection. How did that happen? Well, it, it's kind of an interesting story how that happened. You know, one of the things I always say about uh, restoration people, stone restoration people, is we're kind of the doctors of the industry because we see all the problems. So in, in doing so, I, I've, I've seen a lot of problems. Uh, I, I ended up writing for uh, several magazines uh, at the time just simply because of my knowledge and my background in science. And uh, uh, I, I got a call one day. So, uh, an attorney saw my one of my articles in one of the publications, and uh, she called and she said, "Hey, we've got this, um, we've got this uh, case where, that involves, you know, um, a marble issue, and we need an expert." And I said, "Okay." And at the time, I had no idea what you know what an expert does, you know, in these lawsuit cases. She said, "Well, we need to do your deposition." And I'm like, okay, what's a deposition? <laughs> and she said, well, we're just going to basically put you in a room. We're going to ask you some questions. And so they did. And I, I always tell this story, and it's kind of an interesting story, but my first deposition was with three attorneys. It lasted eight hours with a, a very small break or half hour for lunch. <laughs> wow. Uh, and if uh, you would have given did me – Did you feel really intimidated in that environment? I, I did I, I did as a matter of fact and you know I often say that if you would have given me the choice of someone taking me outside and beating me up 
or letting me sit in this room for eight hours asking questions I would have taken being beaten up because I felt the same way. It was just, it was horrible. But, but over the years I learned that, you know, there are, there are special techniques uh, to do in depositions and, you know, without getting into too much detail right now, uh, I ended up learning that I, I actually have an advantage as an expert over, over the attorney. So, um, but that, that, to answer your question directly, that, that led to, uh, to other depositions, to other cases over the years, and uh, ended up being a very, very lucrative, uh, a lucrative occupation. Very good. So the, the first deposition, and you just moved on, like, word of mouth after that? Yeah, word, word of mouth, and, of course, I continued writing for magazines such as, you know, Stone World Magazine, uh, the Building Stone Institute, Slippery Rock Gazette, and, of course, when you do that, as you know, as a writer, you get your name out there. People, you know, especially once the advent of the Internet came into play, uh, people started searching for experts, and there's not a lot of experts in the, in the stone and tile industry, and my name came up, and I'd get hired more and more. Okay. Um, well, I I wanted to make sure that everybody understands the difference between the uh, troubleshooting and inspection and the expert witness. Um, so my understanding is that as an expert witness, you would do the legal end of it. The troubleshooting inspection would be more of just a, a consultation type of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the when when you talk about expert witnesses, you're you're talking about the legal side. That's where an attorney hires you to either evaluate a case to see if there is a case, or to uh, appear in a deposition, as I just described, or a court case, or, or something to do with someone suing somebody over an installation, a selection of wrong material. I've had wrongful death cases where slabs have fallen on people, where the troubleshooting aspect is just that that's troubleshooting that's you know going in and looking at a floor or a countertop and outside of a building and determining what's wrong and and in that case you'd be hired by you might be hired by an architect a contractor a homeowner uh you may be hired by uh, another consulting firm I, I get a lot of work from other engineering firms looking for an expert in that particular field insurance companies etc that 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 would be the non non-legal side Although it, it gets kind of complicated because sometimes those non-legal things can turn into legal things. So, but but that's basically the difference. You're, you're talking about, you know, troubleshooting an issue versus you know going in and 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 testifying about it. Okay, thanks for clarifying there. Um, mm -hmm. So you kind of just landed in uh, the expert witness field, but did you actually? go out and get formal training in any form at first started into yeah. it yeah at, at first no uh you know once i got into it and you know got more and more depositions under my belt you know you start learning things uh attorneys uh depending on the type of attorney will will actually coach you and, and what i mean by coaching you they're not going to tell you what to say but they're going to prep you i guess would be a better word uh, they would they would say, you know, you're going to have a deposition. They're going to ask you these type of questions. You want to keep your answers short. So, you know, I, I've kind of learned and still learning to this day uh, certain things about, about doing depositions and appearing in court. But 
with that said, there are other formal training programs out there. Some of them are quite lengthy. Uh, some of them, what I have discovered in, in taking those classes, uh, unlike the class that I offer, is they tend to be geared a lot towards the medical industry. Uh, you know, doctors who are giving giving testimony, and not not so much with you know construction related industries industries like ours. So, to answer your question, yeah, the School of Hard Knocks as well as some formal training. Okay. Uh, so the, the the attorneys that kind of hold your hands through the process at the beginning, you know, until you understood how all of that works, um, did, were they looking for certain qualifications? Like, what was it that made them reach out to you versus somebody else? Well, well, you know, you know, to qualify as an expert, uh, you know, I, I used to think before I, I started to get into this that you had to have, you know, you had to have a college degree, you had to have, you know. 15 million years of experience in your field and you know going up against other experts I've learned that no you, you don't need that extensive type of experience what what the court looks for when they're looking for an expert or as your question presented is uh, what an attorney looks for is do you have a special knowledge in the topic that that they're looking for you know for let's take a quick example let's say someone is suing someone over a installation of a of a floor for example uh or or anything for that matter uh they're going to look specifically what type of experience do you have with that are you familiar with uh you know the, those these type of installations uh they they'll all kinds of things that they'll ask you up front uh do they do you have a conflict of interest um and we we talk a lot about that in the class that I offer on expert witnessing is conflict of interest so you know they'll and then they'll, they'll kind of get a feel for the way you communicate the way you talk to people uh you know and that's very important in a court case especially if it goes to goes to trial you want to be able to to communicate very well so the attorney's going to be looking for that they're going to be you know asking you some generic questions and and checking out your knowledge now you know, you could you can have a few years uh, of uh, you know experience in the field, but you may have prior knowledge in and you know engineering or or whatever, and that that all helps. Okay, very good. Um, and you had mentioned you know that the way that you communicate, um, it what kind of qualities should you have just as a person to be able to be an expert witness? Not necessarily well, you know what what they are looking for, but just in general that you be sure. able to do. Um, what it is that they need. I would say the most important thing of, of all of them. I mean, there's obviously you have to have the knowledge, you have to be patient, uh, you know, things of like that. But I think the number one thing that's extremely important when it comes to communication, um, when, when it comes to this is, is the word communication, is being able to communicate in a clear, concise way. Uh, I, I often get, just as a side note, I often get into cases where I'm up against um, uh, I want to say this without being <laughs> derogatory. Let's say someone with a very technical background, and they they tend to be very technical in their language. And you have to remember, attorneys attorneys are good at law. They don't don't know a thing about your subject. So anytime you bring up words that are you know common in your industry, you know you have to be able to explain those words, and you have to be able to to use to use common language. I I always remember a, a class I took in college on technical writing and the advice I, I remember getting out of that from my professor was, you know, write your reports and, and communicate like you were talking to a, to a, to a 12 year old. 
And, you know, it's not exactly, you, know, you don't want to go Google Gaga, but, you know, uh, a lot of times I see reports, I see other experts that are, are just so technically oriented that, you know, they get on the stand and they'll ask a simple question and they'll, they'll start talking about flux capacitors and, you know, et cetera. <laughs> and, uh, and, Isn't and you, that off back to the future? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, whereas, you know, my style and a, and a, and a a style I think is, is really good for an expert is to be able to communicate and communicate in simple terms, be able to explain some of the more complicated things that might arise, you know, in, in your occupation in a very simple, because you have to remember, you know, jurors come from a wide range of, of backgrounds and, you know, a joke an attorney, <laughs> a attorney tells all the time about jurors is uh, jurors are composed of people who aren't smart enough to get out of jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's not true. I I've seen jurors that are very intelligent, but uh you know they, they can come from a wide range of backgrounds right. so they probably know nothing about 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 what you know. So I would say to answer your question directly, communication I think is is the most important. Of course you need patience, you need to have your knowledge. Uh so Right. So with this um, jury that's listening in, I'm sure that your experience um, working with commercial and residential clients probably helped you to be able to communicate effectively. How many years of experience do you, do you actually need to be an expert witness? Well, obviously, the more years experience you have, the better. You know, if you're going to go up against someone that's got 30 plus years experience versus someone that's been in the business one year, you're probably going to be a better witness. But, you know, it's hard to place an exact number on it uh, simply because you could, well, a good example would be in my industry, the stone industry, you could have been a fabricator, for example, for, you know, 20 years, and then you went into, you know, inspections. So if you've only been inspecting and, and doing troubleshooting work for one year, but you've been fabricating for 20 years, well, that's 21 years worth of experience. You can use that. And, and that could go for, for any any occupation. You could be a have been a, a carpenter for 20 years, and then you've entered the stone industry or some other industry, but that carpentry experience is going to, going to help you uh, with your with your experience and your knowledge. So, and I tend to find, at least in my field, a, a lot of the people that I train in both fabrication and restoration uh, come from other fields. They're carpenters, they're plumbers, they're, you know, whatever con construction. Uh, that, that's all hands-on type, type experience. So use that experience as part of your years of experience. Right. And uh, I, I know that uh, you often say that you're still learning as you go. Um, what type of research do you have to do um, as an expert witness? That's a good question because a, a lot of people think that and, well, an expert witness, he goes in, he does his inspection, he writes his report, and then he goes to a deposition and he answers questions about what he found. Well, it's not quite that way. Um, I'll give you an example. Most of the inspections I go on, in, in some cases, I can go in in five minutes and tell what's wrong with the project. Uh, you know, so, but I would say on average, I'll spend a good hour or so uh, on an inspection. And then most of my time is spent researching and, and writing the report. You know, I, I could spend an hour doing the inspection and, you know, eight hours doing uh, research. And the research would be, you know, checking things like the standards in the industry, going to all the manuals. You know, in my industry, we have 
uh, the natural stone industries manual. We have the tile councils manual. Uh, we have, you know, codes, a, a, a slew of different, different manuals. And, you know, I don't care how smart you are. Uh, you can't memorize all of them. Uh, some of these are thousands of pages long. So you spend a lot of time either physically going through these books or going online to, to Google and seeing what's out there in a research kind of if, if any of you are familiar with writing a research paper, you know, one of the things you do when you write a research paper is you go and see what's out there, you know, what's been written on this subject, you know, uh, to give you a quick example without, you know, harping too much on my industry. Uh, I, I just had an, uh, a case in uh, overseas where the marble had warped. And uh, in that case, I went and went on Google. I spent all day on this a couple of days ago looking at, you know, what literature, what scientific journals are out there uh, on this particular on this particular topic. So those are the type of things you would do as a as an expert. You would you would have to research, you know, your opinion is one thing, but, you know, opinions are good. But, you know, like they say, everybody has one, uh, but you want to be able to back up what you're saying. And that's where the research. Right. Comes into play. Mm-hmm. Well, as somebody who likes to solve mysteries, I know you are, uh, that research probably uh, seems like fun to you, I imagine. <laughs> it is. It, it actually is. It, is it's there... quite fun. Good. Yeah, I, I think I would enjoy that, too. Um, is there anything that you don't like about being an expert witness? Uh, you know, in the very beginning, I, I, I used to get nervous with depositions and, you know, based on the story I told you in the very beginning. But nowadays, I, I really... I really look forward to the deposition because, uh, you know, I have the upper hand. I, I, uh, I know more than the attorney does. And, you know, you should know more than the attorney does too. As I, as I said before, the attorney knows the law, but they don't know your, they don't know your subject. So it, it's almost like a game to me, you know, trying to outguess, trying to figure out, you know, where they're going, uh, what they're trying to get out of you. And, and they'll ask you in a deposition the same question a million different ways in a hopes of getting a different answer. And uh, in my class, I tell several stories about uh, some of the things that I've run into in, in, in depositions. And uh, but it, yeah, it's a tough question because I I really enjoy it. I I really don't think there's anything I dislike about it. Um, you know, sitting down and writing the report. Sometimes I have to get myself into the proper mood to do that. Uh, but I tend to write stuff in my head first before I sit down and, and actually put it to paper. Uh, or in today's case to the computer, <laughs> but um, uh, but no, I, I don't think there's anything I really dislike about it. Okay, so um, you 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 give the depositions, you write the reports. Um, is is does this always lead you to the courtroom, or does it, do cases stay out of court? No, I would say, work? yeah, I, I would say out of out of a hundred cases, maybe one will go to court. So you know, in the 30 plus years that I've been that I've been doing this, I've probably been in an actual court case probably less than 20 times. On the other hand, I've given wow. hundreds of depo- I've given hundreds of depositions. So you know, it, it, and any attorney will tell you this, and I'm not giving legal advice. Please don't take this as legal advice. But any attorney will tell you this. Many of the cases actually get settled before they actually go to court. Okay. But, but court can be fun too. I mean, you know, you're dealing with with juries, and uh, it's uh, the the you know 20 times or so that I've actually been to court. It's always been a great experience for me. How do you market expert witness services? 
Well, marketing expert witness services is kind of unique. It differs than any other type of marketing. I mean, obviously you have, you know, word of mouth, people get to know who the, who the expert is, but there, there are specific ways that you can market. There are services, what we call expert witness services or, or confirms uh, on the internet where they act as a kind of like a, uh, an agent would be to an actor. Uh, you know, the, the, the attorneys will go to these sites looking for, I, I need an expert in plumbing. I need an expert in, you know, concrete or whatever. And they would go to this company and the company said, well, we happen to have one in, in your area or, you know, if not in your area, close to, close to your area. That's one way. Uh, the way I market myself is I do market myself with those particular uh, avenues, but I also market myself by publishing as often as I can. So, you know, I write an article every month for the Slippery Rock Gazette called The Stone Detective. Uh, I've written for Stone World Magazine. I've written for um, uh, Building Stone, which is not a magazine anymore. And I've also written for consumer magazines. I, I was lucky enough to be published in two, uh, two uh, issues of uh, This Old House magazine, which goes out to, you know, five or six million people uh, on some stone issues. So. Uh, interviews like this uh, on radio can help uh, your local, you know, clubs, you know, your Rotary Club, your Kiwanis Club, et cetera. Basically getting the word out to let people know that, that you're available and, and that you're an expert. And, and, of course, taking my, my class in this will also help because, you know, one of the things that I can't be everywhere, you know, I'm, I happen to be in Florida. I do travel, but uh, I, I can't be I can't be everywhere. Some of these cases are are too small uh, for me to actually run to Alaska, for example, and look at uh, somebody's countertop that only cost them two thousand dollars. It's going to cost you more than that to get me there. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, um, but uh, those are basically your your marketing your marketing. Uh, okay. So avenues. let's uh, let's suppose that you're very successful at marketing your expert services. How how much money could you expect to make and is it something that you can just do full time or is it something you have to kind of work into your existing job or how does how does that play out in the real well, world? Let, well, let's take that last part of that question first. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's like putting a putting a shingle up for the first time. You know, you're not going to work a lot, <laughs> you know, to be quite honestly. Uh, you have to get the word out. I started part-time doing it while I was running my construction company. So, you know, my advice would be for anybody starting in this field, regardless of what you're doing now, don't quit your job yet. You know, start out part-time, get your name out there, and then eventually – uh, it'll get to the point where you, it'll provide a full-time income and, and then some, and that's what happened in my situation. Uh, you know, I, I had a restoration company. I had a fab shop for, for years and uh, started doing this work, and it, it took several years. And, you know, once my phone started ringing with consulting work, et cetera, then I was able to sell those businesses and go into this uh, on a full-time basis. Uh, the first part of your question uh, how much money can you make uh, is, is, you know, when I tell people this, they say, oh, my God, you're, you're, you must be driving a Bentley and have your own Learjet. <laughs> and so I want to <laughs> – I, I don't have either. Well, actually, I do have a model of a Bentley. <laughs> but, uh, it doesn't count. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, right now, you know, a, a good expert or, or an expert in general is going to earn anywhere from $250 an hour. Uh, on up in the construction field, you're probably looking on average of about about two to three hundred dollars per hour. 
Now, when I say that, most people's eyes light up and they go, oh, my God, let's see, 40 hours a week times 200. You're making that kind of $8,000 a week or whatever that comes out to be. No, because you don't work a 40-hour week. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you may, you may have – you may work 40 hours in a month or you may work 40 hours in two to three months, especially, uh, especially at, at first. So, uh, but it's good money. When you're working, it's very good money, which means you don't have to work as much <laughs> if you're, you know, you're making that kind of money. Yeah, If you're in the medical field, I, I've, seen, I've seen some doctors charging six to $800 per hour. And again, I go into that in specifics uh, in the class because there are certain things you you charge for. You know, it's like I'm sure if any of you out there have ever hired an attorney and you talk to your attorney for five minutes, you get a bill for 15 minutes. You know, so there's 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 ways to charge. You know, if, uh, I have a, a job in California. I'm in Florida and I get on a plane and it's a five hour flight. I'm charging for that five hours that I'm flying on an airplane. There, there's, you know, all kinds of things you can do. All the research that we talked about before, you may spend all day long, you know, doing research. And, and part of research I didn't mention before uh, is also reading others' depositions. So there may be experts and other experts in the case, and you have to go through their depositions. And there are tricks uh, for reading depositions, but the time you spend doing that is all billable hours. So uh, right. money, can be, the money can be quite good. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty sweet deal. Um, so uh, how kind of you to pass your information along to other people and, and who take your course so that they can become expert witnesses. Um, but I, aren't you shooting yourself in the foot? I mean, are you afraid of training your competition? Yeah, it's funny you should ask that question because way back in the day, when I was doing my, had my contracting company, I was asked to teach other people how to do that particular work, not expert witness work, but this applies to your question. And I, I went kicking and screaming saying, no way, I'm not going to train my competition. And I discovered something. I, I discovered something very interesting. And that is the more I shared my knowledge, the more came back to me, the more work I got. Uh, and the same applies with, with the ex- teaching expert witnesses. And you know, I kind of alluded to this a minute ago. I can't be everywhere. You know, there may be somebody in, in California that, you know, has a small kitchen or an average size kitchen and, you know, they're getting sued or they're suing and they need an expert. Well, in order to for me to get on a plane, fly to California, do an inspection and then go back and fly for a deposition and then possibly go back and and, and fly to, to do a, a court case, you're talking thousands of thousands of dollars, probably three or four times what that countertop costs that person. So if there's someone I've trained and they're in that particular area, you know, I can just refer them. I can say, Hey, you know, call, call Joe, you know, he went to my class a couple of years ago and, you know, and he does this kind of work. So no, I'm not afraid of competition. No one does it like me. And that that's pretty much, uh, you know, the way I look at any competition, regardless of what business you're in is if you have a unique, uh, niche that that no one else does. That could be a, an expert witnessing. It could be a personality. It could be a knowledge. Uh, I'm not worried about competition. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. Um, so, suppose that someone is an expert in some other industry besides um, stone and tile, for example, roofing um, or an electrician or something. Uh, would your course be useful for them as well? 
Absolutely. The, the expert witness course is designed to teach you how to be an expert. It's not trying to, it's not going to teach you what your expertise is. It's going to teach you how to, what to do in a deposition, how to write a report. Uh, you know, some of the legal terms you're going to run into, like interrogatories, depositions, do 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 to them. Uh, there's a slew of 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 uh, things you need to know, how to handle yourself, uh, the type of personality that that you would be. So I, I could train a doctor, even though I don't know the first thing about being a medical doctor. I could train a doctor how to be an expert. I could teach a roofer. I could teach an electrician, a plumber, an accountant, anybody that, that wants to get into to taking their knowledge of their particular field and applying it towards being an expert. That's what this course is designed to do. Okay, very good. Well, um, if, if you could just give us like a synopsis of the expert witness course, like a description of the course, um, that would be helpful. And, and also, while you're at it, um, mention some of the other courses that you have with the Services Learning Institute um, that are either available now or in the works coming soon. And, and I will mention that the, these courses are all going to be, uh, for the most part, uh, what we call e-learning courses. In other words, you'll be able to take them sitting at home in your pajamas in front of your computer. Uh, you don't have to get into a car. You don't have to get on an airplane. So, uh, and you can do them at your own pace. And that's, you know, that, that's the future right now. So we're doing a lot of these courses. Uh, I'm teaching a lot of these courses via e-learning and the expert witness course happens to be one of those. So let's take that one first. Uh, the expert witness course is going to, is going to teach you, and I, I've mentioned this before, it's going to teach you uh, if you qualify to be an expert, some of the things you need to need to qualify to work on. It's going to tell you how to construct what we call your CV, which stands for curriculum vitae. It's another legal term. It's basically your resume. Uh, a lot of the questions that you asked uh, during this interview will be covered in that class. It's going to teach you some of the legal terms. It's going to teach you about depositions, how to give depositions with a lot of examples of depositions, what to do in court. Uh, I think I said how to, how to write a report and, uh, and how to market. Uh, you know how to market these. We've covered a little bit of that in here, and uh, and obviously uh, how much money you can make and what to charge uh, for your services. So that's just a general um, of, of what it's going to cover. But some of the other courses for those of you in the in the uh, in the in the stone and tile tile industry, we're going to be covering courses like essential marble and stone floor restoration, tile and grout cleaning, sealing and color sealing. Uh, countertops and walls, both with engineered stone and regular uh, natural stone, granite floor restoration, grout failures, historic preservation, another passion of mine, inspection and troubleshooting, uh, outdoor landscapes, cleaning, sealing, restoration, uh, sealers for natural stone, uh, stain management uh, for hard, poor surfaces, not just stone, but concrete, brick, etc. understanding and identifying natural stone, uh, how to build a practice lab, uh, something that I recommend, especially if you're going into to, to stone restoration. Now, what's interesting, too, I'll be doing those classes in English, but a lot of these classes will also be available in Spanish as well. Uh, obviously, I can't speak Spanish, so I won't be doing those, but they'll be translated uh, in, into Spanish, as well as some other courses. Now, all those courses aren't available right now, uh, but I would I would suggest that you uh, go to surfaces.com, that's S-U-R-P-H-A-C-E-S.com to see a list of uh, what's available and what's coming up 
And I think that pretty much covers the courses, doesn't it, Alex? I think so. Yeah, it sounds like you've been yeah. very busy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've actually, as you were naming those courses, I, I a lot of those um, I've actually taken, and yes. I've really enjoyed uh, the small group dynamic and the one-on-one discussion. And I'm just wondering about um, e-learning, if you're comparing that to in-person learning. Um, what what kind of advantages do you get doing the e-learning versus in-person? Yeah, and I get that question all the time where people say, you know, well, you know, it's, it's not the same as being live. And they're correct. I, I will not deny that. But here's the difference. Let's say you go to a class, and what I mean by, by a live class, not, not an e-learning class. And, you know, and I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I see this all the time. In adult learning, we have a tendency to only remember so much. So, you know, I can't remember what the exact figures are, but let's say it's 25% the first day. And as the days go on and on beyond that class, you learn less and less and less and less. Well, once you're in that class, that's it. You've heard that information, boom, it's gone. The advantage to e-learning is you get to look at it again and again and again. You get to go at your own pace and you get a lot of the classroom work that, uh, that you would get in a live class where you won't need it in a live class. A live class is going to be good for, you know, hands-on type type situations. So, you know, for example, in my uh, 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 my inspection and troubleshooting class, that's offered as both a live class and it's offered both as an e-learning class. The advantage of the e-learning portion is you can, again, take it very slowly. Uh, you can go back and look at something. Oh, what did he say? Or, you know, what is that, that, that standard again? You can actually go back and back to that. And let's face it, today with, you know, the COVID thing, you know, e-learning is going to be the wave of the future. You know, you, you spend less time on an airplane. You don't have to be away from your business. If you get a phone call that's important, you can press pause on your computer, go answer the phone call, and come back to it. So there's a very big advantage to actual e-learning over, over live, live learning. Yeah, that, that really makes sense because I recall at some of the courses that I took, people, you know, letting their camera roll because there was something that they you were saying that they wanted to make sure that they remembered or just writing lots of notes. And uh, with the e-learning, you, you know, you can you can really just absorb all of that and, and you don't have to worry so much about um, keeping track of all the details because it's just right there for you. Mm-hmm. All exactly. right, well, that is all that I have for you today. And um, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for letting me interview you. I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. It was definitely uh, different uh, being the interviewee, I guess, as of being the interviewer. (laughs) So it was was fun. Thank you, Alice, and uh, we'll talk to you again. All righty, folks, we are back live. So that was that interview that I had uh, last week. So if any of you are interested in these courses now, right now some of those courses are not available on e-learning. Uh, we're currently working on them, but they're going to be uh, up fairly, fairly soon. What you'll want to do is check out the following website, and that would be backstage.surfaces.com. That's backstage.surfaces.com, and surfaces is spelled S-U-R-P-H-A-C-E-S. Again, backstage.surfaces.com. All right, folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break here and pay the bills. And when I come back, I'll have some last-minute comments. And also, in the meantime, if you have a question, uh, if you're listening live, it is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. Thank you, Tough Skin, one of our gold sponsors. Marble etches and stains, Tough Skin guarantees it will not. Tough Skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. Available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. Alrighty, folks, we're back. I just wanted to mention, too, that I didn't mention, or at least I don't think I mentioned during that interview, is that uh, right now I do have a live class. It's a troubleshooting and inspection class, but I do cover expert witnessing in that class, and that's coming up February 7th through 10th, and it's going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, I only have one or two spots left. It's filling up pretty quickly, so if you want to get in on that seminar, uh, I definitely would uh, give me a call. Let me give you my cell phone number. My cell phone number is 321-514-6845, or you can send me an email to fhouston at gmail.com. That's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Alrighty, folks, uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends.